trust we're all coming in faith tonight? Some of you are. Good. You have Brother John with us tonight. Appreciate the time we have. Thankful for safety on the river. Kind of trying times for travel. And I know the thing that's been on my heart just the last little bit, just in the just the crazy times we live in. You know, whatever it is, some dude running around shooting people in Maine, and you know all the physical things that we're going through right now. Just finding a place of stability and security is something that is increasingly important for all of us. And you know, it's talking upstairs a little bit about Samuel and Karen. You know, they're they're in a pretty tough spot with their health issues right now, and. Uh, you know, we're believe for strength and, and help for them in this time and that they, they would find the place of stability that they need. And for all of us tonight, let's let's come in faith and believe that God's gonna meet us tonight and ask him for that the uh, place of refuge in whatever storm you're going through, whatever storm you're facing tonight and you know, in these in these days that God would be able to meet you in that place and give you a place of stability and a place of hope. You know, I, a scripture where uh, <clears throat> Moses, it was crazy, Moses talking to God, you know, face to face. And uh, Moses said, you know, I want to see you. And he said, well, no, come up here and stand beside me. I've got a place for you on the rock right here beside me. You know, I'm going to put you here in the cleft of the rock. That's a good place to be. We can find that place. Amen. It's good to be together, isn't it? There's a lot of help if you reach in for the help. No limits on God's part, I'll say that.
earlier this evening. This is part of your conversation where we said, well, we haven't sung that one for a long time. It's an interesting paradox that we live in such a unique time. But our calling is to not be framed by the time we live in. So we live in a unique time in history, but we also live at a time that is the only intent of eternity. For there's only one thought of God, there's only one intent. It comes in layers, it comes in progressive illumination. And it's evident that in his expression of that, as he begins to deal with the soul of a man, and I'm not excluding, I'm talking about mankind, that there's that which is stirred within the soul that is a yearning, and the yearning is for what it doesn't know. The appetite that God satisfied in the wilderness for the children of Israel was something that was called manna. And a loose definition of the word manna is they didn't know. They didn't know what they were partaking of. They, they thought they were eating food that would sustain their existence and it did. That's what they knew. But they had an opportunity to experience more than what they knew. And that's the uniqueness in which we stand, not just in this time, but also in this time, because the intent of God has been distributed throughout time. It's there in Ephesians 1, I think 10. in the dispensation of the fullness of times. And I know theologians have taken that and broken it down into thousand year increments and say this dispensation and then that dispensation. Whether that's true or not is not the point. The point was in the dispensing, the distribution of God's intent throughout time has been to gather all things So that there isn't anything that isn't gathered. It says heaven and earth, right? All things in heaven and all things in earth. We're going to get connected here. It's good to be connected. In the 20th chapter of Luke, it's a verse that I mentioned Saturday in passing. <clears throat> but Jesus said, and they that are worthy to obtain to that world and to the resurrection from the dead. It's just a phrase. I, I know it's yanked out of context, but context is there. It's been in print for thousands of years. What do you see when you look at you? 
Do you see worthy? They that are worthy to obtain. And obtain, you know, is a, it's an interesting word. I'm not sure that the English word has a full component of what the Greek word has according to at least the concordance because obtain to me means to lay hold of, to acquire. But there's a sense in which the word that is translated there as obtained from the Greek talks about making ready and to bring to pass. They that are accounted worthy to bring to pass that world. I know. It's been evident to me for a long time, based on my own experience, that if I am in this for my gain, it's going to be a horrible fail. I mean, just, just in the simple aspect of cut and paste, when Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you know, not frivolously, not throw it away. But if you lose your life for my sake, if, if there's a definition to that loss. And he didn't stop. He said, and the gospel. Kind of an interesting thing. So I'd, I'd like to read a verse out of, uh, I think it's Second Timothy. If it's not there, we're in trouble because I don't think I can quote this one. You know, there's some things that I read and I go, I don't get that. Somebody asked me one time, is there anything that you're aware that you don't know? I said, I'm not sure. I, I thought that was an honest answer. If I don't know, how would I know I don't know it? I bump into things I don't understand. It's a hint. Most of the things that I'm aware I don't know are things that Paul wrote. I have a sense, you know, I have a kind of a, you know how things are there in the perimeter and the periphery and you, you're not looking at them directly, but you can see, okay, there's something going on over here. So you have a sense of it, maybe not specific. And he said, so death works in me and life in you. I kind of, kind of a sense of that. You know, that we're called to live as a provision for others. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's a simplistic thing, but, but it's a sense of it. But then there's things that he says, and it just, it's off the radar. It must be it's out of visual perspective. And he said, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ if that meant that my brethren, according to the flesh, would be saved. I don't get it. talk about it. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it enough to say what I don't understand. But this is something that 
is here. It's in 2 Timothy, the second chapter. And, and this is something that I guess I'm going to say it this way. You might listen to it and decide to say it a different way next time. But I'm afraid I'm getting to understand this one. Second chapter, and this one's in the 10th verse. This is one of the last things that Paul wrote. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, you know, when you just start getting something, it's, it's not a good idea to make definitive statements about something you're just beginning to understand. Because they're likely going to be proven to be, at the best, premature. So I'm not going to make a definitive statement about this, but it would seem, at first blush, that Paul is inserting him somewhere as part of a guarantee that others would experience something that's from God. Anybody else kind of get a sense of that? You know the story about the Lone Ranger and Tonto and they riding into a box canyon. They didn't realize it. They thought they were on the way somewhere. They came to the dead end and went to turn around and the rim of the canyon was lined with Indians and there were Indians across the opening going out. And, Lone Ranger looked at Tonto and he says, well, we're, I think we're in trouble. Tonto said, what do you mean we, Kimusabi? <laughs> I'm an Indian. Sometimes you get up here and you say things and you look and you go, anyone? Bueller? This thing is so unnatural. You know, it, it's, it's just, it defies rational process. It's outside the parameters of what can be held to. In fact, there's actually testimony in the scripture itself about this process and it says, it is a fearful thing. To let go. And uh, look for God to hold you up. But it is the greatest opportunity to be joined to what has been the intent of the one who created all things. And there was an intent before there was let there be. It wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't, um, let me try this, I'm bored. give this a shot, see how it works. There was an intent and there was a full investment, we talked about it Saturday, this thing that is a covenant that God has established between himself and the world that he so loved and the word gave 
He gave himself. He invested omni. He invested something that is without limitation. That what's impossible loses definition when omnipotence steps up. Impossible only has definition when something's limited in its capacity. This is impossible. Uh, no, it's the intent. But I have to be willing to leave. I can't stay. I can't be comfortable. I can't be resourced by the horizontal. I can't be sourced out of what is readily available. Jesus taught a parable about God. And he called God an unjust judge. Wonder how that went over with the angels. <laughs> the water cooler was a buzz. Did you hear what he said about the big guy? He said he was unjust. God is not unjust, but our perspective is he doesn't meet me in my comfort zone. You know, it's like a three-year-old turning and saying, why are you being mean to me? It's a fearful thing to leave your comfort zone. But I will say this, there's no way to follow on to know him as I am known by him if I stay in my comfort zone. Because I won't even relinquish myself to the reality of the impossibility. The provision doesn't kick in until the need is so pervasive that it's the only thing that you see. God, if you don't do this, I am gone. It's not a threat. It's just a statement of truth. It's an honest evaluation of the circumstance. This is not about a commandment given to man to keep. In Hebrews, it says, and what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, right? You don't have to get that far. You could just look at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were given one commandment. Didn't have to wait for Moses to come with 10. It proved what they weren't. It revealed the need that they had to be saved, to be brought out of their normal interaction with their environment, to be resourced in something that was other than what they knew. Jesus said in the sixth chapter of John, he said, that food that your fathers ate in the wilderness and died is not the true bread that comes down from heaven. And, and that's, I'm, I think that's a good thing because they couldn't look back and say God poisoned us. He said, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. 
And then he defined the recipe for that bread. Did you see that one? He said, I, being the true bread that comes down from heaven, live by the Father. That's a recipe for that bread. I live by the Father. Well, show us the Father. Um, no. How about that? And Nathan, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate what you said. The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, I want you to, I'm going to put you on this rock in the cleft and I'm going to cover you with my hand so that you don't see. Show me the Father. No. Live by the Father. How? By a presentation of yourself out of the desperation of your soul's travail. There's something that I've been drawn by. It has brought extreme conflict to my life. But it is the most fulfilling substance that I've ever encountered. It's more solid than this. I didn't mean to scare you, Seth. <laughs> this is not substance. This is temporal, right? The things that are seen. The things that aren't seen. Those are the things that are substantial. Those are the things that have continuity. Those are the things that are a source and a resource for that which we are not yet. I want to go back and talk about one of my favorite friends from the Old Testament. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't have a scroll. He didn't have the oral history that Moses would later inscribe. He was a pagan. He was a Syrian. And somehow, there was a drawing upon his soul and all he could hear out of God's intent toward him was, I want you to move and I'll show you where we're going one day at a time. I, that's weird, right? So put this in your GPS. Nowhere. Coordinates, I don't know. Something stirred him. And it was that witness that was in him that enabled him to receive out of what was eternal from before the world was made and have an interaction in time with that which was sourced outside of time. And there began to be formed a continuity out of that simplest fear. You know, he, he had a father, right, Laban? No? Tara. Yeah. He had a few servants and goods and can you get the picture of him explaining that? Okay, pack it up. Let me pack it up. We've been here for a long time. This is our homeland. No, we're not. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. (laughs) 
And they might not have said it while he was there. We don't know if he had a temper or not. But after he wasn't there, you know, there was a buzz. Is he off his rocker? This is nuts. Have you ever heard the life? Yeah, I was kind of tired of this place anyhow. Let's see what happens. They weren't following because they had a witness. There was something that was being drawn on deep in his soul that was being stirred by eternity. And there was a conflict that took place between that which was known and that which wasn't known. And there was something that began to happen as a result of that encounter. And that word is called trust. Because trust isn't rooted in what you know. Trust is rooted in who you know. And God was proving to Abraham one day at a time that he deserved to be followed. And there was a progressive accumulation of that over time. In the second chapter of Hebrews, there's an accounting of the day in which we live, not because we're at this point in time, but in the light that we stand because of an interface between eternity and your soul. That's why David said, look, I, I got to tell you, you can run if you want, but you can't hide. Take the wings of the morning, descend. Because there's something inside that holds. And to reconcile yourself to that in a very simple humbling of sinking down into a response of saying, look, Lord, I don't know. This life that is son is the only life that has any comfort without knowing. The natural man will drive him nuts. The natural man is anchored in what can be understood. A spirit man is anchored in a source that he doesn't know. coming to know, right? Growing in faith, learning. Jesus was born in a hostile environment. Said he was made of a woman made under the law. The law is a hostile environment to spirit. The law requires that you perform. The law requires that you stay engaged. The law requires that you do. Son is not doing. Son is becoming. <coughs> Whole different environment. Whole different system of righteousness. going from a knowledge-based system to a trust-enabled life. And there's, an, a, there's a change of the life itself in the process. Having been freely justified by faith, and then finding out that the just shall live by faith. To end up where 
it's never been seen can't be by an understanding that's prevailing and easily accessible. To take what is contrary to the interests of God in my life from performance of right and wrong, and it doesn't take that out, it just goes past that. Jesus didn't say that the righteousness of the Pharisees is something that you should despise. He said it's something that you should exceed. He didn't give permission to be unrighteous. Concerning the, the standard that the Pharisees live by. He said, but there's more. I mean, that's the whole book of Job, right? If your righteousness doesn't exceed a righteousness that's produced by your own energy according to what you understand. That's the extended version. I have to leave. I can't stay. And if it was geographical, it would be easy or easier or doable, but it's not. The beginnings of this, oh my goodness, can you think about the graciousness and the mercy and the loving kindness of my father? That when I was beginning, he made things relevant to what I thought I understood and could do. So kind. How many times have you bumped into, it's not that this was wrong, but there must be more. Yeah. <clears throat> There's something that was a witness that's been there from the beginning, not yet defined by my experience, not yet fulfilled by the provision that I have attained to at this point. Not that I have fully laid hold of that which has sought me. From a knowledge-based system to a trust-enabled life. No longer limited to just be an expression of what your birth is but come to a manifestation of something that is not of this world. How are you gonna do what you don't know? There's a really cool word that's the answer to that question. You cease. That's what causes you to fall. <coughs> to let go. To leave. To be willing to be extracted and harvested. To be provisioned by something that you can't expect or anticipate what it is. I don't understand specifically why Paul felt justified to say, I'm going to bear the infirmities for the elect's sake so that they may be partakers. I don't, I don't. <laughs> when I look at my own experience and I see the desperate need I have to be saved, I don't want to stand as the assurance of somebody else being saved. I'm willing to say, go to God. But to say, 
follow me? I don't know, in the cold, hard light of spirit that takes something more than what I've attained to, I'm just being honest. In the second chapter of Hebrews, so I'm pretty sure I've said this before here, and maybe everybody knew it before I said it, and that would be great too. But the book of Hebrews is the book of Son, and it's not just like you know, uh, filling in the blanks of the Gospels, talking about Jesus as the Son of God. It's talking about Son, and it's talking about the purpose of Son. It's talking about the means by which Son comes to the purpose that the Son has. And ultimately, it's the story of a Son becoming a priest. Because Jesus was born a Son, but he was made a priest. And the working of this willing to bear the responsibility and the accountability that others may partake is part of the outworking of being made a priest. It is not part of the inherent equipment that comes because you're born again. And the first chapter of Hebrews sets the stage by comparing son and angels, saying as great, as wonderful, as better than terrestrial the inhabitants of the heavens are, they're not sons. And the fifth verse begins to define the uniqueness of the place in which we stand, not just because of the calendar time in history, but because of the invitation of God to whomsoever will respond to the witness of my draw upon your life and follow it to completion. That's, that's the uniqueness of the time we live in. The availability. And you know, there are some that have already laid hold. I, I, I know it's disturbing to conventional theology, but there are some that have already laid hold. and they're waiting to be made manifest, and they weren't manifest even though they fulfilled the path of maturity because it wasn't time for it to be revealed yet. Not because they hadn't already accomplished the fulfillment of their purpose. And there are obvious ones. I think you all rehearsed probably in the obvious ones. But there is that which is yet unfulfilled. There is that which is holding back the expression of what is waiting to be revealed, that is desirous of being revealed, the solution for the nonsense and the idiocy and the insanity of this world. And it's in the fifth verse. And it says it was not unto angels that he subjected the authority, the power, the influence, and the enablement of the age, which is not now. They who are worthy 
to obtain to that world and the resurrection from the dead. By not living in the limitation of what is readily available and not settling for what's readily available. For not listening to what appears to be according to my petition and the perception of my need that I'm not getting what I want. So my mother had a solution for that. He said, well, is that what we're having for dinner again? She said, at this restaurant, yes. The one down the street? If you have an alternative, if you got a better idea, if you've got a shorter path, please get with the program. Because I promise that when this comes to a culmination, it's manifested and it takes all the shadows away. It takes all the alternative considerations. Well, you say this, but I think that. You know, that's the rod of iron that governs the next stage. It's not a big piece of metal to hit people on the head with, concuss them. It's that it's inflexible. Yes. It's no longer, well, let's consider this, or well, it's, it's, not, it's not even the dimension that this is the truth. It's a definition that says, I am. What are you gonna do with that? Well, you know what the Jews did with it. They hung it on a tree and said, good riddance. But he didn't come to establish the next stage. That's your job. And I know you've heard this verse because I've heard some of the ministry in this room preach on it more than once, or at least included in what they preached and that is in Hebrews, uh, sorry, Ephesians 3.10, where it says that by the church shall be made known. So don't, don't lose it. Uh, I had to go back and listen to what I heard uh, Saturday morning. Second time around, I got a little clearer out of it as well. But um, I think we can relate to this. Um, and particularly caught my attention is the point about Abraham. I didn't like it so much when he was talking about the three-year-old we, we can see it when a three-year-old doesn't get his way and he's upset at the father. But what we don't see is, you know, a 33-year-old, a 53-year-old. And I think this is where, really where God has us um, in, some, in some ways. Specifically, I think we can relate to that. You know, God has taken us back to what he, what he told Abraham, you know, to go. And, and not needing to know. Not having to have an explanation. Right? I like that point. Um, the conflict in his soul. From what he knew and what he didn't know. Right? And then he said, trust what I got out of it. Trust isn't sourced in what you know, but who you know. And a passage in Psalm 46 came to me then, but says at the end, that's a good, a good chapter. But at the end, it concludes with, be still and know that I am God. And I think this is really what God is driving at in so many things where we feel like we need an answer. 
I've once said, when I finally realized that for all the needs that we face here, and I, I felt pressed upon me like, it's very liberating when you're okay to not have an answer. I don't have to have an answer. I mean, it's important to know who does have the answer. And I think this is really what God is looking for out of us at this intersection. Are we okay to go and not needing to know? Like that, that really is squeezing us out of our comfort zone. And that's a fearful thing. I mean, most of us are planners. Well, we did it 40 or 50 years ago, right? Like I was telling somebody recently, like just to get up and go. And most of us had a very difficult time explaining it to our kin folk as well. Like this, this is crazy. And then once they came and they saw, it's like, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. But I think we have to be okay not knowing. And when the Lord is saying, trust, be still, hold your horses back, hold back all the thoughts and, and know. Are you okay with that? Are you, are you there in some way where it is very uncomfortable? And you think if you just knew something, like just some little piece, some tidbit, something, that would make a difference. And he's, he may or may not be supplying it. So Lord, help us to be willing to uh, once again go without knowing and to trust you, Lord. Trust is not based on what we know, but who we know. So, thank you. All right, let's close. Lord, thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for the the word tonight, Lord. We ask that you would grow our trust, Lord. That we would not accuse you of being a hard man and unjust in your dealings with us, Lord. Help us with a different perspective, Lord, to see you faithful in all that you do, Lord. We ask that you would meet the needs among us, Lord, in the way that only you can. Thank you that you are more than sufficient, Lord, for every need, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.